Hi, and welcome to Connected Conversations for Creatives, a place where creatives like you can learn, grow, and connect. I'm your host, Jennifer Carr. Today, we are embarking on a journey into the world of writing and its incredible power to transform our mental health and emotional landscapes. Our guest today has a personal story that exemplifies how writing can be an excellent tool for self-discovery as well as healing. For many, putting pen to paper holds the therapeutic potential in a way it allows them to confront the most challenging and complex emotions that often lie beneath the surface. I guess it's hardest power to navigate the intricate terrain of their own inner world, turning what they describe as inner yuck into something genuinely beautiful and healing. But this episode is more than just a look into her creative process. We're going to explore the intentional approach she takes in her writing, delving into the connection between faith and art, and redefining success in the world of creativity. It's about discovering how personal growth and healing can become integral parts of the artistic journey. So prepare to be moved and enlightened as we dive into the narrative of turning grief into a source of hope and inspiration while also exploring the idea that words have the incredible ability to mend our hearts and minds. It's sure to leave you with a renewed appreciation for the therapeutic art of writing. Joining me today is author Lindsay Lamb. She's a homeschooling mom, a creative intuitive introvert, and the embodiment of hope to those who are facing dark times and may be searching for the light at the end of a long, dark tunnel. So without delay, welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. It's just an honor to be here. Well, I'm really excited. Um, I, I was going through, I like to do research on people before we have our conversation, just so I'm not going into it cold turkey, because I am also an introvert, and I don't know about you, but sometimes those starter conversations can get a little awkward. You're like, hi, I'm Jennifer, and that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just poking around, and so I was like, Oh, I didn't realize you were a homeschooling mom because we are also a homeschooling family. So that's kind of cool. We have a lot in common. And I was just really thrilled to find that. Well, that's wonderful. I, you know, I run into that a lot, especially with women authors that, you know, I read their book and I kind of snoop online and I find out they have a lot in common with me. I think that makes the writing more fun too, because then you're like, I know the hurdle you had to get over to produce this work, you know, it's impressive. (laughs) It is. And and I think, and, and like we're going to talk about, the writing sometimes is definitely a way to process a lot of the the overwhelm or just the stress of everything. It's like, I need to get lost in my imagination for a couple of hours. So everybody go away. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, let us get to know you a little bit more. Tell us about who you are, a little bit about, about your background as a writer and an artist, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I've been very artsy since high school and earlier um, I was homeschooled as well, so that I had lots of time for just writing for fun, drawing, painting for fun. Um, I didn't really take that seriously as a hobby even until several years ago. I think it was when I went on a trip with my husband for our fifth year anniversary. Um, we just kind of did a fun little creative exercise. I would write a little bit and I would bounce ideas off of him of like, oh, what should happen next in this story? And I had no um like agenda tied to where it was gonna go I was just like this will just be fun and that kind of rekindled in me a love for storytelling and my husband always is encouraging me to finish something you know like if you're gonna write like just finish something <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think that his encouragement to be a little bit more disciplined and then also just that rekindling of the love of the art is where it started several years ago um and and then it just kind of the timing lined up to where I needed exactly what you were talking about a minute ago. I needed to escape reality because my reality was very dark and I needed a sense of control. And I felt like 
the world that I was creating at that time, I was working on a manuscript for a fantasy novel. And so, you know, it's a little bit based in reality, but there's magic and there's elves and there's, you know, all kinds of things like that. And I think that that was extremely therapeutic when I was going through a season of depression and my life had big boulders that were immovable, that were just daunting every day and I had no control over them and just being able to go to the writing and have to regain a little bit of that um, agency, I guess, <laughs> was what I needed. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And let me just say that there is something to be said for a supportive husband. The one who, even if it's him saying, just finish something to know that he's back there behind you, like mine is the same way. He's like, he wants to read everything I write. And, you know, he's my biggest cheerleader. He's like, that's the best that you're so good at this. And I'm like, no, I'm, it stinks. Like I, and he's like, no, this is the best. So it's so nice to have that. And so I can totally relate to be like, thank you, honey. You know, that's it's nice to have you there in my corner. So that that is also one of those um I don't know how people do it without somebody supporting them, especially if there are kids and raising families and uh, homeschooling and all that, like without somebody just to hold your hand through it. Ooh, we are, we are blessed ladies. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your, if, if you're willing to walk through, you know, what, what were the mental health struggles and, and the, the grief and, and that kind of thing that you had to walk through to share your story with us? Yeah. So I, I have a little bit of PTSD from some injuries that happened when I was a, a teen. Um, and I hadn't ever really processed some of that stuff as like actual trauma. So I was learning about that and the effects, the long-term effects of trauma um, in, you know, on your psychology and, and stuff. But at the same time, I also have a chronic illness. I won't really get into the details of like the diagnosis or whatever, but it, it operates very much like chronic pain and it is a daily experience and it are, there are seasons where it'll flare up and it will be much more unbearable. And I think I was going through a time where I was pregnant with our fourth child. I believe it was the fourth. <laughs> we're, we're going to have six now. So yes. my timeline is a little fuzzy. I'm, I'm expecting our sixth right now. <laughs> yeah, thanks. But it was like that combination of like, I was pregnant and dealing with all of that. And it's a whole thing itself, you know, as well as flare up of um, my chronic illness. And, and it just really made me feel trapped, um, especially with pregnancy making those symptoms worse. It felt like these things are both trapping me in a corner here and, and there's no escape from the daily experience of them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that kind of drug up from the past a bunch of the trauma and the things that I hadn't known how to deal with um, and I began to learn about grief as a human experience because I wouldn't have thought I was grieving or someone who had lost anything really because I like I have a grandmother who has passed away um, but besides her I haven't really lost anyone close to me, no friends in tragic accidents, like nothing like that. I've been incredibly blessed um, to have everyone still in my life. So I wouldn't have thought I'm grieving, but I think that the, the chronic illness, definitely the, the loss of good health and the loss of opportunities um, that I could do if I wasn't struggling with this illness, um, that is a valid type of grief that I needed to go through the grieving process for, to actually heal from, not even heal from it, but just to rediscover some wholeness in my life, um, just mentally. You know, mental health is such a tricky thing because you don't know that it's 
getting bad until it's getting really bad sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, thanks for sharing, because I know sometimes sharing those things so publicly, it, it can be a little intimidating, a little scary. But I think that and and it's something that I've always believed is that we're all given a story for a reason. And it's not to keep it to ourselves and it's mm-hmm. to share because you just never know when the next person is going to need to hear what you went through and how you got through it. So um, mm-hmm. utilizing your writing and, and your art and that kind of thing, you know, how do you have a process that you intentionally sit down and and work through in writing or is it just, you know, emotions flood and you put it on the page? Like, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. So, um, as, as in general, I'm an organized person. So with my writing, I try to be organized as far as like structuring things and giving myself deadlines that I totally don't have to fulfill, but I find that it helps motivate me to um, make my goals. But an interesting thing that I didn't realize until this year, actually, was that I kind of am disconnected from a lot of my emotions. And I, as an adult, need to learn how to feel my feelings. And that came up in my writing. And so my writing, in some ways, like, it was a vehicle to, like, help me um, find some a safe place in the midst of some mental illness turmoil but it also has been very healing for me because it has taught me things about myself that I didn't know and one of those was that in my writing I was holding the reader back from key moments in the plot Mm -hmm. and kind of like having things happen off screen or downplaying them or on the other extreme overplaying them you know because I felt like this needs to be an intense moment but I didn't know how to do that emotionally so I would just do it like with drama or you know whatever um, action or you know, something like that. And so I think that that was very telling. And my editor pointed it out to me and said, you know, like, here's a great book to read on um, emotions in fiction. And just that process of doing that and learning that about myself and learning that about writing um, helped me to realize I need to do that in all of my life. And so I'm extremely thankful for that. Mm-hmm. It's so wild because we we went through... Um, infertility and then it was you know I was blessed to to carry a child and gave birth to the child and she was perfect and wonderful and I hated my life and I hated myself I went through postpartum psychosis for the first year of her life and didn't know really what it was like the doctor mm-hmm. was like no you just need you no know, more birth control hormones are out of control let's go back here and mm-hmm. um like and it was one of those secret struggles that you know I didn't share the um emotional stress that I was under because it was always you put on your good tennis shoes and you deal with stuff. You know what I mean? Like you, you tighten up the laces and you just push forward. And that's how my mentality had kind of been shaped over the years. And so I thought it was weakness to say something wrong with me. And it, that was almost 14 years ago. And so it just in the last, you know, two to three years, really, because I did, I went, you know, I went and saw counselors and, and we prayed through stuff and, you know, Jesus, mm-hmm. and it, I know he's there and I know the right answers. That's not a problem. Um, but it wasn't until I started writing characters and watching my characters process emotion and come to these understandings. And I thought, how bizarre, like it was the craziest thing that it was, it was watching them grieve and go through a grieving process that I realized that loss, it doesn't matter what you're losing, whether it is losing your health or a loved one or um, the ability to do X, Y, Z, you know, loss is loss and you have every right to grieve that. Um, and so just just it's been like an emotional revolution here the last couple of years just as i've watched myself and my characters process things and i'm like whoa (laughs) it's wild i never really thought that's how that would work but it does Hmm. 
And I find that really interesting that you had like a, like a debt to grief for many years. It, it didn't just go away, you know, and I think that as a society in America, we really don't know how to handle grief and we really don't know how to process it. And, and the way we talk about it also is that we need to heal from it. And I, and I would disagree with that and say like, I would too part of your life, even if you are able to come to a healthier place, that's going to be with you for the rest of your life, you know? And I think that it's, it's a wonderful thing that you're doing it, doing the work now because it does, it builds up and it, yeah, it does. Right? Because you're, you're, yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's just the, um, the wound wants you to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And that I was going to say, you know, like we like to stuff those holes, those empty places with things or with new experiences, thinking that we can, can fill the chasm that was left. And, uh, I don't, I don't want to fill that chasm. You know, I want to remember, I shouldn't have to forget it, but I want to do it in such a way that's healthy. I want to be able to look back with, with fondness and say, you know, that was a moment where there was growth, where there was opportunity for change, where there was an opportunity for me to, to hold a hand out with somebody else and say, I've been there. I can walk with you now because I've mm-hmm. I, not that I want to experience it, but now that I have, let's put it to use um, and not just cover it up. It's like, oh my gosh. So I'm in Alabama and, um, we, with the way we deal with potholes is like, you just kind of cover them up and hope for the best, but then it rains really for a week straight. And you're like, oh, it's back. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how we do it. With it's like, we're just going to fill it in. And as things pile on top of it, that, that foundation is not very strong. It's going to crumble again. And, and you're going to be reminded of it instead of, you know, actually filling the hole and fixing it um, and dealing with it appropriately. <laughs> not that grief needs to be fixed, but you, you get my analogy. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Just that you know, our, our lives are already so complex and we're already dealing with so much emotional input every day that unless your grief has a healthy scaffolding, it's going to collapse, not just, you know, your emotions and ruin your whole day, like derail the train, the entire train, because it, it's powerful, you know. Mm-hmm. It is. I, uh, I heard a really great, um, Oh gosh, it, it was a poem and I can't remember exactly how it went. It was, it was very long. It was a very, it was beautiful, but it was talking about how grief is like the butter that you're folding into a project, a, a baking project. You know, it's always mm-hmm. there and you're going to see the effects of it. Um, even when the final product is on the table, but it, it doesn't go away and you don't want it to go away because that grief or that butter in that case is like, it's serving a purpose and it's bringing flavor. It's bringing color and that kind of thing to life. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I really, I keep going back to that because um, we have any, you know, everybody has their multiple spe- experiences with loss and that kind of thing. Um, and so, but I just, I keep going back to like that. It was a beautiful, hard moment in life. And from that, we're going to grow and change. So, um, and, and I don't think that it could happen without, I don't know how people navigate grief without some sort of faith, um, which is what I want to bring up next. Like, how does your faith, this is something that you know, we kind of barely but kind of had a, a pre-show communication about like how does your faith integrate with your art hmm. yeah so i was thinking about that that was my favorite question that you kind of prompted me with a little bit and i really enjoyed thinking about that question because you know sometimes you don't think consciously about it but your faith is interacting and i think my favorite way is that um i want to talk about certain themes and certain things that are a little bit deeper than just what's going on in the characters. Um, and one of the, one of the themes that came up pretty strongly in, um, 
my book, A Voracious Grief, was that, you know, in fiction, you have a lot of examples of people being heroic. And I think this really had to, um, this shaped the way I was able to end the story. And I really slaved over that ending for, I didn't know how I was going to end it for probably nine months of writing, you know, <laughs> working on it. Um, it was really difficult to land on the proper ending that would do the story justice. And I think part of that was because I didn't want the main character, Ambrose, to be a hero in the sense of like, he's going to triumph over his enemy physically or just like even symbolically, but it, that just did not feel appropriate to the story. And I think what I settled on instead was this idea of sainthood or a kind of spiritual heroism where, um, you know, we're all saints if we are loving God and we're in his family. Um, he calls us that, but we often don't take that title on ourselves because we don't feel worthy of it. And we think saintly means holy, right? Um, and I'm obviously not holy, so I can't be a saint. But I think what the Lord's perspective of us is, is someone who can act out in faith heavenly realities that are not yet our reality. But just because it's not our reality in fact and physical form doesn't mean that we can't act out on it, you know, and I think that's where faith comes in. And so in the book, it's kind of like this, um, <laughs> it's really interesting because as a character, Ambrose has very little faith on his own. He has so much despair and sorrow and struggle that he has maybe only like the mustard seed Jesus was talking about. Right. And that, I mean, my favorite thing in the story is how he borrows faith from his friends and from people around him. And they can support him. And even when he doesn't believe fully in his heart that there is hope, they tell him there is hope, you know. And I think that's my favorite thing that came out um, with that kind of community-ness that the church should embody and also the um, our identity in Christ and how we can walk that out. I love that. And, and I'm going to ask you to tell us about your book in just a minute, because, you know, it's, it's out and it's, it's ready for, for people to read. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit more about integrating the the faith and, and the, the process. Is there, mm -hmm. um, is your, um, is your book considered like a Christian fantasy? Is it considered just a, a fantasy? What's your, where's your genre at? Well, my genre is gothic horror. Okay. And I know that many Christians would be like, well, horror can't be Christian. <laughs> I would beg to differ, but, <laughs> uh, you know, do you know who Flannery O'Connor is? Yes. The famous Southern Gothic. I mean, you live in Alabama, so I. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but she was well known for being too Christian for like New York publishing world and also too gory and like intense or or graphic or whatever violent for um christians and i i love that she exists in the history of literature because i'm like i aspire to that i want to be able to say like let's not gloss over and christianize and um just make happy and pretty every aspect of fiction in order to call it christian because you know christians slay dragons too True story, and, uh, <laughs> right? Or just the entire Bible, right? <laughs> so yes, I have a little, a few opinions about that. So I would not call my book Christian fiction. Um, I definitely just put it in the genre that the um, 
the characters on the plot fit with um as a liter you know according to like the literary devices that people use um but it has very christian themes it has a hymn quoted in it and you know allusions to scripture so i think anyone who knows what to look for would be like it is christian <laughs> we gotcha okay no that's awesome and my you know like my my first two books are um specifically christian fiction as you know there are references to to god prayer scripture those kinds of things and you know the whole theme is redemption um and so i was just it's, it always i'm always curious how you know how do you integrate i mean you see c.s lewis did it and you know tolkien mm -hmm. did it all these all these great authors who, masterfully yes i'm telling you and i'm like how because you can totally see it and uh mm -hmm. um but mine and so i just i'm always curious how people navigate that because it intrigues me mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you know i think so i grew up reading so much c.s lewis and a little bit of tolkien and a lot of other of the similar yeah. genre of christian authors and it intimidated me. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I didn't take the writing seriously until more recently was because I felt like to be a Christian artist, that's what you have to aspire to. And it just felt impossible, you know, to read that type of a standard. Um, but as I re read more books that were either written by Christians or written more recently, probably not by Christians, but it was just a very good story that called to mind a lot of Christian truth to me. Um, I think that kind of dispelled that um, impression that I had from a young age, that in order to be good Christian art, it has to be like a masterpiece or whatever. Um, we'll, we'll let C.S. Lewis continue to be the Christian genius, but I think that um, you really, all it takes is you just need to tell a good story. You know, and you need to do it well. And whether that is like improving your writing craft or just improving your practice as a human being of thinking deeply about things um, and caring deeply about things, you know, I think that those are the elements that make a good story. And readers can tell. They will pick up a book and, and have an entertaining afternoon reading it. And if they go away and they don't really think about it that much, you know, that's that. But when it goes beyond that to like being transformative or being something that offers comfort to a place they didn't maybe even know was needing a kind word. Um, yeah. So those are the kinds of stories that I want to write. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so it's, it's clear that, you know, over time, you know, being afraid of, of the writing maybe, or just intimidated by it up till now, like clearly your definition of success as an artist has, has kind of evolved maybe through your journey. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. It's really tempting to think of success as like how many people are going to read what I've written. And it's really tempting to think that that will validate all the many hours of work and labor and and heartache that's involved and you know um and i i think that because i'm just really really thankful that i have written a voracious grief as the first book that i was going to publish i finished a different manuscript the fantasy one first so i don't really say this is my first book but um it's the first one that i'm publishing and i think that that has really shaped who i am as an author and how i think about my audience and because this book is so personal and has such um, a, just like an ambition to bring healing 
where there is brokenness and to bring light and hope where there is despair. Um, I think that that helps me kind of set the tone for how I want anything that I write to work, that I want it to not be as much about me as providing that benefit to someone to where even if, if your book was able to change one person's life or bring a sense of healing or hope to one person who had lost hope, that would be successful, you know? And then apart from that, even if you think about the, the healthy exercise of my own writing that and, and being able to process those things, I think that's successful for me also. So. Yes, I, and I agree. And, and yes, would I like my books to make money? Definitely. That would be fantastic. Thank you very much. But I write, I write a lot of times I write for myself, you know, and, and it's, it's books that I want to read. It's books that I, I know that I can't be the only one that's looking for something new and different. And so that's why I write. And if what I have to say, I mean, like if there's somebody who does find that working their way through the grief process, there is hope on the other side, then it's been worth it. You know, like you mm -hmm. said, one person, I'm good. As long as that it has hit its mark. And I think as long as we take ourselves out of the picture, because I think a lot of times um, authors, it's very obvious and and a lot of the marketing that goes with it too, but also in writing, authors go for that shock factor or just wanting to get noticed. And so we live in this world of sensationalism where, um, you know, authors want to prioritize that wow factor over um, connecting with the audience authentically. I don't know. I think there are a lot of, I, I think it was one of the words that you had used in our, in our pre-show communications vanity. There's a lot of vanity that goes into um, being an author sometimes, you know, and, and you don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that way. I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about the work and I want it to be about, um, I want my work to glorify God first and foremost. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts or insight on maybe how artists can maintain that authenticity and uh, spotlight off themselves kind of thing? Yeah. I, so, you know, everything I've been hearing from the get-go with trying to think about my author brand or what I want my website to look like and all those kinds of things, every advice you get is promote on social media, build up a social media thing. And I think that that, that sphere of the social media um, platforms is very short attention span, very sensation-driven, very like you yourself as a as a producer need to long to have people's attention and do whatever you need to do to get their attention. And I think that the antidote to that and what will really keep authors grounded um, back to their vision of why they're writing, you know, um, is to be as connected as possible to the people you're writing for. And for me, that looks like like I, I envision my ideal reader as someone who is a woman, primarily. Um, guys can read my book if they want, but I feel like it's probably going to connect a little more with women. Um, and so women who are maybe around my age or a little older and have gone through some things and are, you know, it's basically kind of a description of myself, um, you know, someone who's maybe deconstructing from their faith or someone who's really grieving some a loss or a midlife crisis where things haven't turned out the way you wanted them to. And now you're looking for um, where is the hope for the future? What is the direction for the future? And that's where I want to come in with my books and speak into that space to those specific people. And a lot of my friends are those specific people. And so sometimes when I'm just thinking about writing, I think very specifically about a woman that I know, you know, and a conversation we had recently. 
And it's really important to me to have real life people in mind when I am making decisions about what goes in the book or what I need to change because I'm writing it for people and those people have real hurts and real beautiful personalities and things like that. And I, I want that to be apparent in my, in my writing. I do think that um, when you are writing for a purpose that is a lot more personal and has a deeper connection with you yourself, that that's going to come out in your goals and how, what choices you make. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that will help in like um, achieving a brand because we are a brand. We are, you know, as, mm -hmm. as are, are you self-published? Did you self-publish? Yeah. Or, okay. Which is this whole, whole ballgame in and of itself. Like that is a whole thing. And so you're responsible for creating the brand that you want other people to perceive you as. And so everything that you write, everything you communicate, how you communicate, um, it all matters. And so you're going to communicate and then you're going to draw the people who are attracted to what you put out there. And so I hope that, um, I never lose sight of that. <laughs> so let's turn that into the open floor part of the show. Is there anything that you would like to talk about specifically? Tell us, you know, more about your book or about your work that's coming up, anything like that? Hmm. Well, I, you know, I'm, I think if there's any writers who are listening to this podcast and, and wondered, like I was, I mentioned social media and you probably have all heard the advice, read the articles, seen all of the stats of like, this is how many readers and, and yes, so the big question then might be, well, what do you do instead? Like, what is the other option? And, you know, I'm new at this and I'm exploring, but I have seen a couple of things recently that were incredibly encouraging. So maybe I'll just share a few of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my town has like a farmer's slash craft market throughout the summer. Um, it's every Saturday and anybody can apply and it was the booth was like five dollars to um to come and sell your products there and so i wasn't the only author there actually there were several other authors um some on week that i was not having a booth and then others we were both there at the same time and the honestly the quality of conversation of people just stopping by and being curious and being like oh i'm a bigger reader oh i like historical fiction oh i you know and just finding connection points to where they were interested enough to then say, so what is your story about? Oh, I also have depression or, or my, you know, sister or something um, has struggled with this type of thing. And, and just being able to see a real life person who is basically your reader standing right there in front of you. And also for them to see you as an author and just to hear in your voice that you care about them, that you know what you're talking about. Mm. And then just, you've written a book, you know, and I think that there were so many of those conversations that may or may not have ended with a sale, um, but I counted those as a win, you know, and I think that who knows what will happen down the road with any of those conversations. There were also plenty of people who were like, oh, I'm in a book club. Maybe we'll read your book in our book club. Like, give me your email and just things like that. But there's, you never know what kinds of opportunities are just going to walk by your table. So I, that was incredibly encouraging to me because, um, starting out I was like I'm not going to even try to do the social media thing really um but I don't know what else is out there and so I've been doing lots of like just feet on the ground try to connect with the library try to find whatever local stores or event type of situations I can connect with and see what happens so basically just trying to connect with anything local libraries 
um, local stores. I have a store that's interested in stocking some of my books. And they are more of the gothic type of merchandise, so it's a good fit for them. Just things like that that are very people-facing. And I really like that because I like to get to know some of my readers if I can, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. So how do you go? This is, And this is where I struggle with that. Um, how do you go about creating maybe an elevator pitch? Like, how do you talk about what your book is about? Because see, people will be like, well, what's your book about? And I'm like, I got nothing. I don't know. I can't tell you. I, I honestly just memorized something that was based on like a shorter version of the short blurb. You know how you write the blurb and it's got to have the hook and it's got to have kind of the middle and a hint of like, you know, plot twist or whatever it is. And maybe like a question also filtered in there somewhere of like will they work it out in the end <laughs> you know it's like you gotta pack all of that in like yeah. 150 words and so we my editor and i had already done all the work of like refining the short blurb and the longer summary for the back of the book um and so i just basically kind of summarized the short blurb into two or three sentences and just memorized it and the thing with doing the market table was after the first time that i did that you know, every couple minutes, someone's stopping at my table and I'm giving them the same spiel again. It The more you do it, the more it is flowing easily. And you can kind of think about like, oh, maybe I'll just throw this little detail in there. This person looks interested, you know. And so I think that that helps you get a level of um, comfort to where you don't feel like you're on the spot trying to make stuff up. And because I am horrible at that. If I'm on the spot, I just have to make stuff up. I say the most awkward things. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, I had somebody, and I, I was a guest on the podcast, and and the lady had brought up the, my books, and we hadn't even been talking about them. We were just we were just talking about life in general, and she was like, "So tell us about your books." And I'm like, "Well, it's about this woman," and I'm kind of froze. I was like, uh, "She she can do yeah. stuff," and it's really you know. But I just I I get so nervous because I guess on the one hand I don't want to give it all away. I'm scared I'm going to tell you right. too much, and then I'm like, yeah. "But what do you need to know about it?" And so that is. But I do agree that meeting your readers face-to-face, -face, that one is some of the most encouraging um, because even if they don't pick up your book to read it, um, most of them will be like, oh, well, that is fantastic and, it, and it's exciting and it, and it shows, you know, that there are people who are still interested in reading books because yeah. it's kind of hard to find those people sometimes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I have plenty of people that go past my, and I'm offering free bookmarks and um, that are kind of like my business card also. And a lot of them will just be like, oh, I don't read. And it's hard for me to imagine living a life like that. Like, I don't read a ton because I'm a busy mom and I homeschool. But I'm a reader at heart. I would never say I don't read, even if I didn't read a book for a full year, you know? <laughs> Goodness, I can't imagine either. I've, got, I've always got at least two or three books going at a time, whether it's an audio book or, you know, they're all different genres. Just because I need to be able to know that I can go pick something up and just be like, I need a minute. I need to escape mm -hmm. for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, and it's also really nice that when they do pick up your book and then you get to meet them face to face again and they tell you it to your face for the most part. I've only had one person. Um, she was a beta reader, so she wasn't even reading like the final product. She was she was a little she hurt my feelings. But um <laughs> but I kind of asked her to but at the same time I was like, You could hurt my feelings a little nicer, but that's fine. Um <laughs> She didn't but, have to take know, me so seriously when I said be honest. <laughs> Like be honest, but let's layer some sugar in there if we need, if we can. That'd be great. A little padding, but um, to have them come back afterward and just be like, "Oh, I loved it, and I can't wait to read the next one." And mm -hmm. um, 
that's always encouraging as well. So yes, those face-to-faces, they mean something. Um, mm-hmm. They mean a lot. So yeah, I agree. And I wish we had more opportunities to do that kind of thing. I wonder about the library. Like, how did you, did you get in with your library? Had you been and done something with your yeah. library? It was a process because, you know, I think the library has a system usually that they're used to ordering books from a certain distributor. And one of the things that I prioritized was getting a Library of Congress number for my book in the copyright and registering my copyright with them. That way, even though I'm not distributed by like all the big name booksellers, I'm still in the librarian system. I actually was on the phone with the librarian and she Googled it real quick in her system was like, oh yeah, you're you're in our system. It, it was just like a validating thing to her, I think, of like, you're legit. <laughs> so I feel like taking away any of those roadblocks is super helpful and just being as professional as possible. And they don't always expect you to be that way. So you kind of have to just advocate for yourself. But I, I just would kind of fig- try to figure out who's the person that I need to speak to and try to actually have a conversation with them so that hopefully I can represent myself well. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and I, I agree. Like self-published authors have to be even more professional, I think, than the traditional yeah. published authors a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yes. You have to legitimize yourself, unfortunately. I mean, but it, it is a good thing. It's not really an unfortunate thing because then um, that just helps you in the long run to not maybe make some mistakes you would hope not to. Um, And one of the things that helps is my library has a local author program. I think they prioritize stocking local authors. So hopefully that's a trend across the States, but I'm not sure if it is. (laughs) That's cool. And I guess you just call your library and ask. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, nice. All right. So tell us how listeners can connect with you and your work. Yeah, so I do have a website. It is lindsaylamb.com, and lamb sounds like a lamb, (laughs) but it's L-A-M-H, so that's my pen name. And um, I also, if you wanted to email me or get on my newsletter, you can sign up or find my email through my website. Okay, and that's going to be in the show notes. And where can they buy your book that is out now? Can they buy it on your yes. website? The, the easiest place to find it is on Amazon. Um, I It is in most all of the ebook distributors as well, if people prefer e-readers. So, mm-hmm. okay, I'm awesome. hoping we'll have a hardback option in the future that may be not on Amazon. I don't know exactly what that will look like, but for now, just Amazon. Nothing wrong with Amazon. Unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately, there's nothing wrong with Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how you feel about it. because And that's the thing that I've been torn about because I've seen, you know, a lot of authors and, and Amazon is kind of stingy with, with their royalties. And I get that mm-hmm. there's a whole, we could talk about that for a whole nother hour, but um, it, it's, it's going to be your most popular outlet. So mm-hmm. if you want people to get to your books, Amazon's going to be the place to find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kind of did the best of both worlds in that I didn't go through Kindle publishing. I went through draft to digital, but it's listed on Amazon. So people can find it and review it on Amazon, but I don't have to pay the steep royalties. The royalties are better over at draft to digital. <laughs> nice. Yes. I have Ingram Spark and Amazon. So I've done it on both. And mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah, so there there is a way to, to make sure you're getting the best value for your investment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, okay, what is one piece of advice or encouragement you want listeners to walk away with if they hear nothing else today? I don't know. I just think reading books is a really uh, healthy practice. <laughs> it is. But I, reading older books is really wonderful too. And I don't, 
I don't know if that's a thing that had gone out of style or if it's um, still very much a thing, but there's a lot of differences between how older books were written and how modern books are written. And a little bit of it is like a slower paced plot sometimes and you have to stick with it. But I think that it's always well worth the sticking with. And yeah, if you need some good book recommendations, just email me because I've read tons of old books that I'm always extremely excited to talk about and share how great they are. So what's yeah. your favorite? That is the impossible question. <laughs> <laughs> your fire child go, right? <laughs> Probably C.S. Lewis's um, Space Trilogy or Till We Have Faces. Those tie very much. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love it. No, I think you're right. Old, the the way of writing has changed so much, whether it is, you know, the vernacular and the vocabulary. And it's true for me with like movies. I would rather sit and watch an old movie from the 40s and the 50s because I just love the way they talked, the words that they chose to use. Like they just felt so different. Um, and that's true with the, the pictures that are painted in books as well from just mm -hmm. even... 20 years ago but yeah it's right. i agree old books are the way to go <laughs> mm -hmm. make you smarter increase your vocabulary and everything <laughs> that's right that's right yeah. and just think you can always make these allusions back to you know well this guy and he's pretty smart and he said and it makes you look good too so oh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well Lindsay, thank you so much for being here is there anything else you want to talk about well, I I just really wanted to thank you again for having me on. It's I felt like we've had a wonderful conversation and it's been a whole range of topics. So I've just been excited to spend some time with you this afternoon. And oh, yeah. No, thanks for spending the time because it is so exciting. And congratulations because that debut novel, like it's done now. Now you just yeah. have to go and run and you just go yeah. with it. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm so excited for you and I can't wait to see your name just pop up time after time on my now recommended book list because I know that's what's going to happen is, you know, I've already been poking around and put your name in Kindle and I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, that'll be the author you follow is. <laughs> and that's exciting. So congratulations. 